Hello. You're tuned in to KCSB FM 91.9 in Santa Barbara. I'm Daniel Vasias, and you're listening to the final episode of our limited series, Pride of Place Santa Barbara. If you need to catch up on episodes you may have missed, all episodes are available on our streaming platforms. Just visit kcsb.org forward slash pride dash of dash place. Stay tuned for episode five, Intersectional Futures. You might be asking yourself, self, what exactly is intersectionality? Well, intersectionality is an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege, identifying multiple factors of advantage and disadvantage. More simply put, intersectionality is the acknowledgement that everyone has their own unique experiences of discrimination and oppression and we must consider everything and anything that can marginalize people. Gender, race, class, sexual orientation, physical ability, and then some. The intersectionality of identities defines much of our experience, informing our walks through the world and the spaces we occupy. To discuss intersectional experiences here in Santa Barbara, I spoke with Alex Aliazar, the Resource Center for Sexuality and Gender Diversity's graduate student assistant, and Dosanji Mendoza, RCSGD's graduate assistant for education initiatives. I am Alex Eliazar. I use they, them, and she, her pronouns. And I am the grad assistant at the RCSGD. And what that means is basically I put on any grad events, uh, whether that's like educational or social, just spaces for grad students to meet each other who are part of the LGBTQ community on campus. So some things that I've put on this year and resources that we have for grad students specifically are, you know, career panels. So we did a couple events that were centered on helping grad students learn what kind of jobs they could get after grad school. And we also do events like that for undergrad students. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had a couple events that were for undergrads of learning, you know, like what is grad school like as a queer trans person? What's the application process? We put together a panel. Mm-hmm. of different grad students to come talk to undergrads about, you know, what is this process and what does yeah. it look like once you're there? Um, other things that we do are, again, like social events. So mm-hmm. different like uh, like identity hours where okay. different students can come meet other students, maybe of the same part of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And so we do our identities, uh, which are those events that happen once a week. Um, so sometimes we do them for grad students. We also have like trans empowerment hours, um, QD BIPOC empowerment hours, yeah. a lot of different events for, you know, specific groups of people. Mm-hmm. I am also a grad student though myself. I'm in the sociology department. I'm in my second year there doing my master's and PhD. Other facts are that I am a first generation college student. I grew up mostly in New York, but uh, also have ties to Guatemala and now I'm living out here. My name is Dosandri Mendoza, or Doza for short. I use uh, they, she pronouns, and I'm the graduate assistant for education initiatives at the RCSGD. Essentially what that means is I'm in charge of primarily our educational programming, so workshops for faculty, staff, and students around how to enact uh, queer and trans justice in you know all the different spaces they occupy on campus. 
So primarily I oversee what we call our cuties program, queer mm -hmm. and trans identity and experience seminars. Um, and we often find ourselves having to tailor them to the department, right? Because yeah. each of those audiences has really different needs and also are at different kind of understandings when it yeah. comes to queer and trans justice, right? Um, it really is going to also depend on where you are on campus. So yeah. if I'm working with a STEM academic department, um, it might look like, you know, what are the dynamics of the infrastructure of a lab space, mm. right? Do folks in the lab really know where the nearest all gender restroom is? What is it like to actually be in space with someone for a long time and constantly do research within, you know, these kind of controlled smaller yeah. environments? Um, if it's working with some uh, student body like AS, right? Um, going through the kind of linguistic dynamics of interactions, right? So what does it look like if somebody's misgendered in an AS meeting? Yeah. What are some of the best practices in that kind of larger public forum setting? Mm -hmm. um, and that could look like telling folks, you know, perhaps that's something where you correct someone, move on, and then follow up with the student, yeah. right? Because if AS is a large public forum, there's more opportunity for that particular trans student who might have been uh, misgendered to become kind of spectacleized, right? Yeah. Become the spectacle of the whole conversation. And that's not necessarily the best way to handle that in that particular situation. Yeah. Um, so we tend to tailor the curriculum depending on the audience. And that looks really different depending on who's requesting the training. Hmm. Um, okay. And sometimes those can be responsive to departments yeah. don't realize systemic issues that they have. And then, you know, unfortunately takes something happening for us to then have to come in and kind of respond. And we, we encourage folks to be doing this proactively, right? So that our trainings are not a response, but rather are part of setting culture in different parts of um, UCSB's yeah. campus. Outside of the RCHGD, I am a PhD student in the linguistics department. Um, my work centers primarily drag and ballroom culture. And I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban. And a lot of my work is in Puerto Rico. So that's where I base a lot of my research. I do want to talk a little bit more personally now. You'd mentioned that both of you are not familiar to Santa Barbara regarding upbringing. I, I want to talk about this transition, going from home and then finding yourselves in Santa Barbara. What brought you to Santa Barbara? What brought me to Santa Barbara was honestly grad school. Mm -hmm. And um, I came in wanting to do research on mm -hmm. LGBTQ migrants yeah. right, and people who had migration experiences in their family and self-identified right, as part of the, their community. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking at programs, a lot of the people that I saw that did really interesting work around gender, sexuality and migration were here in California. Yeah. Um, so I applied to school, got in and decided to come here. Um, and so that's really what brought me here. But I think um, in the past year, right, I've been finding kind of my community here and really yeah. settling in a little bit more because before coming out here, this this is actually my first time on the West Coast yeah. completely. So it's it's definitely been an adjustment. I am too from the East Coast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm always trying to discount the narrative that West Coast is the best coast. <laughs> I do not believe in that mantra. Um, but I'm originally from Miami, Florida, which is okay. a really different place from Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Um, and I primarily came here for research. You know, I have the amazing opportunity of being in a lab called the Trans Research and Linguistics Lab, um, where we have almost, I want to say almost seven students now who are grad students that identify as trans. Mm -hmm. Um, the lead of our lab, Dr. Lalzim, is trans himself. 
Um, and, you know, we're really centering perspectives from trans communities and linguistic yeah. research. So, you know, of all the kind of linguistics PhD programs in the U.S., it's one of a kind in that respect. So that's mm -hmm. why I came here. So I want to talk about these adjustments. This is when we're now getting into intersectionality, right? And this is something that Doza and I talk a lot about um, because, you know, partially because of our work, but also because of our identities. Mm -hmm. I think I really struggled at first because I also came out, you know, middle of the pandemic, everything was remote. Um, so I think like a lot of other students was really struggling to find right, my people. Yeah, uh, I think I also really was surprised by how there aren't a lot of spaces for people to meet, especially grad students and people who are a little bit older. You know, I came from a town where, which was pretty small, but still had like a lot of spaces for, mm -hmm. you know, LGBTQ people to meet and all of those things. And that it wasn't the same here for me, um, especially as things were remote. Yeah. So it is something that I, I've definitely struggled with and look to LA a lot for to be like, oh, there's people there who, you know, are more like me. Uh, but it's definitely, it's been a struggle. I definitely feel similarly. I think you'll find that a lot of queer and trans students of color do often leave to LA mm -hmm. um, as often as possible. And I think part of that is, you know, this is something I didn't know because I moved here without getting to visit Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, mostly because open house and everything last year was recruitment was all kind of virtually done. Yeah. Um, so for me, I wasn't aware, even for a city of this size, there's not really that many queer spaces. Yeah. And when you do go to them, they are really white. Right. And it's something that's really an interesting kind of contrast when you look at where we live at the UCSB campus, the surrounding yeah. community of Goleta is really like working class and Latinx. And you go to downtown Santa Barbara and it caters to a completely different kind of people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you will see some black and brown queer folks at some of these spaces, but um, they're small, far and few between, and it's a different scene than what I'm used to in Miami, right? Like yeah. there's different types of scenes in Miami. If you're looking for the like party pride South Beach type of aesthetic, you can have that. Uh, but you also have like the grungy stuff, yeah. right? The stuff that's more community based, locally grown. So here, you know, it is an interesting kind of space for the size of the city, um, mm -hmm. what you're able to find. It's always a work in progress, right? Yeah. It's one of those things that if we don't go, no one's there. But then if yeah. you go, maybe you'll be the only person of color, but maybe if enough <laughs> of us go, then, you know, maybe it'll be more fun. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, yeah, like you said, that a lot of it is aimed at people who have money to spend, right? I yeah. grew up super working class. And so it's something that I still now struggle with of being like, okay, I want to go out, but I don't just want to be spending a ton of money. Um, I think also, right, a lot of the spaces that we do have are centered around drinking, um, which can be really challenging for, you know, members of our community that maybe don't want to drink or don't want to be around alcohol, or, mm. you know, like that also creates some kind of barriers uh, in terms of, you know, what kind of community people are able to access. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic also really influenced that, right? That people didn't feel safe going out to eat and drink and be around big crowds of people. And so I think there, there's definitely a need for more of those spaces to mm -hmm. show up to you know, have our community be able to be there and be safe and be happy. I think that there's you know opportunity there to kind of grow what already exists. 
Um, but at the same time, when you do go to spaces that are already catered towards a particular audience, right, there's things that happen that make you not want to return. Like yeah. in my personal experience, you know, I've been to a couple of events in which I was like, mm, these interactions are not ones that I really want to be repeating. Right. So even though I, I want there to be, you know, opportunities to be like, maybe I should try that drag show again. Right. Or I yeah. should go back to that event or I should try that particular venue again. You have that one experience where, you know, somebody looks at you in a particular way and you you realize that that dynamic of the space just doesn't feel like it's for you that you don't want to return. Yeah. Right. And I think that when folks don't think about that and designing those spaces yeah. um, or don't realize what that does when it's not really intentionally there to, to think about how these different dynamics are at play. Yeah. Um, you know, people aren't going to want to go. Yeah. And, you know, I don't blame people for that, although I would love to have more events. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I would love to have, you know, more community spaces in Santa Barbara. To further discuss the creation of community spaces for intersectional identities, I spoke with Sai Isoke academic achievement counselor at UCSB's Office of Black Student Development. The Office of Black Student Development advances the experiences of all black students, advocates for their needs, and fosters their personal and academic achievement through graduation and beyond. The Office of Black Student Development, um, in, in a short form, was started out of student need, point yeah. blank. Um, it was preempted by... Um, you know, the North Hall takeover and mm -hmm. um, then 2013 and 2017 demands made by uh, the Black Student Union. Simply, we were born out of student demands and student needs. Yeah. And um, particularly our office services uh, Black students here on the campus. We provide academic counseling. We provide programming. We uh, help get Black students connected to any part of campus that they need to access yeah. that we can't, you know, help them with directly ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we really uh, hope to kind of be a mediary to uh, for yeah. our black students who, as you know, the population of black students uh, on this campus is pretty small. Um, mm -hmm. So what that kind of comes down to is that they tend to be cut off from yeah. a lot of campus happenings, from resources, and simply uh, a lot of the times they can be forgotten when it comes to yeah. programming, when it comes to curriculum even. In our conversation, Sai highlights various OBSD program initiatives, including Hiatus, a monthly discussion space for Black trans and non-binary students. Two of the main programs that were already uh, in the works, already happening, especially online, mm -hmm. were the Black Men's Barbershop and yes. A Tribe Called Sis. Mm -hmm. And so both of those programs are partnered with CAPS and EOP, and um, they bring mental health conversations to these populations. They create a safe space for students who identify as Black men or Black women mm -hmm. to come and talk with not only people from our department, but um, people, mental health uh, professionals in CAPS, and to just have a safer space to talk yeah. about the things that um, go on with them as far as mental health is concerned. Um, some other programming that we have put out, we um, have Hiatus, which is um, our partnership with the RCSGD here on mm -hmm. campus. Yes. And that is a space created for Black, trans, and non-binary students. Mm -hmm. The reason I started Hiatus um, was because I myself am a non-binary person mm -hmm. on this campus. And 
any campus I go to a lot in general, any spaces that I go mm-hmm. to, right? Like trans and non-binary identities are just starting to be understood yeah. on a more social level. And when I say just starting, I mean, maybe we're at like 2%, like baby, <laughs> like, and then that depends, right? That depends on where you go. So mm-hmm. um, coming to this campus and seeing that there was, okay, a small population of black students, that's already a problem. And then you think about students who are queer, you think about students who are trans and non-binary and the different ways that our identities can become so, uh, how do I say it? Like they can sometimes just have, even though we experience them as overlap, Mm -hmm. they can maybe create some separations. Yes. in in certain social spaces and that's mm. the most unfortunate experience it's something yeah. i've experienced my whole life a lot of us have and i just i didn't like it and i didn't like that there was no represent representation for trans and non-binary students um black trans and non-binary students on this campus um so we were really hoping when i when i brought the idea to my director assistant director to my whole team um everyone was supportive because simply it was just like this is a gap this is a big gap (laughs) and it's a glaring gap (laughs) and we have to fill it if our office is uh intending to fill the gaps and facilitate relationships with our black students on the campus then Mm -hmm. this is an area where we have to do the same as our conversation wrapped sai explains the intention behind the cultivation of hiatus so hiatus i mean the part even the reasoning behind naming it hiatus was you know i was in a meeting with the rcsgd and just getting the lay of the land as far as what has been done for black queer trans non-binary students on the campus before and they were telling me all these great stories and telling me about these clubs and different programs that in the past have been student-led yeah and that was amazing and the one thing though that i noticed was that they were student-led, which meant that there was student labor <laughs> involved yeah. in creating these spaces. So in my mind, I'm like, this is great. But then if the students are creating it, that means that they're working and are they actually being able to then benefit yes. from the space? And so I called it hiatus because I was like, take a break, <laughs> simply take a break from having to uphold these identities for every single person around you. You know, your identities don't have to mean labor. You know, you're you occupying a black trans or non-binary identity does not equate to you having to always do work and always, you know, um, create space. Sometimes you need the space to be created for you. And when we think about students too, students labor is if it's not free, it's so undervalued um, as far as, (laughs) you know, dollar amount goes. And I'm a person here like I'm, you know, I am a staff here. I'm salaried. So it's Mm -hmm. like I'm actually paid to do this, you know, (laughs) this work. (laughs) and y'all are not if you are being paid it's not enough and so um like let us kind of take on some of that space creation and and things so that students could just come and be be themselves and be safe Thank you for listening to the final episode of our limited series, Pride of Place Santa Barbara, Intersectional Futures. Remember, for archived episodes, including this one, visit kcsb.org forward slash pride dash of dash place. For more information on UCSB's Resource Center for Sexuality and Gender Diversity, visit rcsgd.sa.ucsb.edu. And for more information on UCSB's Office of Black Student Development, 
visit obsd.sa.ucsb.edu. A special thanks to the voices featured on this episode, Alex Eliazar, Dosanjo Mendoza, and Saisoke. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for listening. I'm Daniel Vasias, and you've listened to Pride of Place Santa Barbara, right here on KCSB-FM 91.9. Take care, and take pride, all year, always. Always.